0: Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazi Acosti. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazi Acosti.
1: Hi, welcome. Today we are talking with Dr. Greg Hammer. He is a Stanford School of Medicine professor physician, best selling author, and mindfulness expert. Uh today he shares tips on how to become more non-judgmental and he explains the benefits. So I'm really excited to have Dr. Hammer on the show because he's he's actually been a guest on our show before. So welcome back, Dr. Hammer.
2: Thank you, Fazia. Wonderful to be with you.
1: Well I appreciate you coming back on. I, I'm assuming you had a pleasant experience first time around. So thank you for that. Um, I'm glad that you're here. So let's talk a little bit about why um, you wrote this wonderful book, Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. What, what made you uh, want to write such a book?
2: I have always been a wellness enthusiast, I would say, both from the standpoint of physical wellness and emotional and spiritual wellness. And Stanford formed a committee maybe close to 10 years ago, called WellMD. And that was convened in response to the growing prevalence of burnout amongst physicians Mm -hmm. at Stanford and elsewhere. I joined the WellMD program. And uh, I was uh, some years later asked to give a talk at a national meeting on, on burnout and wellness. And I did that. And then I got asked to do another one and another one. And Things kind of took on a life of their own. And then I had some sabbatical time and I thought, well, how is, how, how, what is the best way to get the message out to a broader audience and uh, really connect with even more people? And I decided, hey, writing a book seems like a good idea. So I did that on my sabbatical and it just sort of evolved. Uh, writing was fun. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, since then the book was published in, I believe, May of 2020 and the pandemic was ramping up at that point. And so here I am a couple of years later, still doing television, radio, podcast interviews about the gain method and practice and, um, writing my third book.
1: How long did it take you to write your book?
2: Well, I think it's a little bit like doing a renovation on your house. You get ninety plus percent <laughs> of it done in a relatively efficient manner, and you know, reasonable period of time. And then the rest of it, the punch list, uh, it takes about an equal amount of time, even though it's less than ten percent of the, the the volume of work. So I would say, uh, you know, mainly within a year or so, the majority of it probably in the first six months.
1: Okay. Very nice. So let's talk a little bit about what what does it mean to be non-judgmental? What is non-judgment? Because most of us make judgments throughout our day.
2: Absolutely. Well, the uh, N in GAIN is non-judgment. GAIN is an acronym, as you know, for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And I think these are the four pillars of happiness, And they're all very closely interrelated. So I was talking with somebody last evening about the relationship between acceptance and non-judgment, but they are a bit distinct. And I think even more important uh, in terms of distinctions is that between discernment and judgment. So we have to discern, but we don't have to judge. And when we judge, we are really seeing things through a veil. We're not seeing things as they truly are. So, for example, we look at somebody and we form some judgments about their appearance. And if we're being judgmental, we may think to ourselves, oh, that person is, you know, too thin or too tall, or, you know, I don't like their hair, et cetera. And what we're doing is actually sort of reducing. That individual to component parts according to our the way that our minds work. We're very analytical. Uh, we tend to view things as good or bad or too much of one thing, not enough of the other. But when we make those judgments, by for example, we're you know looking at somebody and we're walking in opposite directions along a sidewalk, uh, we form judgments, and we do that. I think for reasons that I think are interesting from an evolutionary standpoint, um, you know, maybe we're trying to keep ourselves safe. So if somebody looks like they might you know present a threat to us, we want to know that. And so we we make a judgment about that. But sure. we've we've really carried it to an extreme. And when we do that, we're not really seeing the other person for who they are or what they are. Of course, we don't know them in that particular example. but even people that we know, when we make judgments about them, we are not seeing them as they as they truly are. And so it's not a, a process that's very productive in a way. And also making these constant judgments is really exhausting. And it doesn't really serve a useful purpose in most cases. And that that's to be differentiated from discernment, which is important. So for example, Fauzia, um, let's say, a, you have two two people with whom you're friends. The first one is very forward-looking, pragmatic, positive, kind of feel good. You feel better when you spend a little time with them most of the time. And your other friend is sort of a downer, kind of complains, seems ungrateful, uh, likes to gossip. So you have an hour of time to have a cup of coffee with friend A or friend B. Who are you gonna spend the time with, all things being equal? You know oh, you're gonna friend A. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. you're discerning that friend A is more to your more in line with the way that you think. and you'd rather get together with friend A because you feel better when you're finished with your interactions with them. And uh, that doesn't mean, however, that you have to judge friend A as good and friend A and friend B, excuse me, as bad. So you can discern. Right which is important because you only have a certain amount of time. And beside that, you may decide not to spend time with people who kind of bring you down and complain a lot. You you need to discern, but you don't have to judge. You don't have to determine that that the first person is good and the, and the second person is bad.
1: Absolutely. Are judgments usually negative or can they be positive as well?
2: Certainly, they can be positive, and uh, but you know we we have ways in which our brains have evolved over tens of thousands of years that tend to veil or interfere with our happiness. And I think that one way is that we tend to have a negativity bias. We tend Absolutely. to remember the negative and forget about the positive. And so, with regard to our judgments, they tend to be negative. So I think that if you know maybe there's a 60-40 split or a 70-30 split, we tend to make negative judgments, and um, you know that that raises an interesting and provocative question: What about positive judgments? Are positive judgments something that we should focus on and try to do more of? And and the only issue I have with that is I think that positive judgments imply that others are negative. And so, uh, you know, there's a, a teacher of Advaita or non duality whose name is Francis Lucille. And he's a brilliant guy and a, a, a wonderful person. And, and he advised that we look at the world with what he called benevolent indifference. So a bit of a positive hue, a smiling presence, but generally indifferent. And that doesn't mean that we don't care. It just means that we don't have to attach labels to things Mm -hmm. as good or bad. And so I I do make positive judgments in my life. Um, And, you know, so today, for example, I'm looking out the windows in my office at home and it's a cool winter, early winter, late fall day here in Stanford, California. The sky is clear it's really gorgeous outside. The air is crisp and refreshing. So I'm going to cast a a hue of benevolence on on my experience in the world today. But on the other hand, if it were rainy, overcast, windy, otherwise, you know, maybe less favorable for spending time outside, I'm not going to make a negative judgment. I'm going to be indifferent to the weather in that regard. So I, I would say that you know, I'm appreciative that it's sunny and crisp and refreshing, um, but I'm generally not bothered by the weather.
1: Okay, I like it. What are what are the benefits of being non-judgmental?
2: That's a good question. You know, I'm I'm going to actually take a step back and refer to one of my heroes who is Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who might be considered one of the the fathers of mindfulness practice uh, since he started his mindfulness-based stress reduction program in Western Massachusetts in the late 70s for veterans who had uh, PTSD or depression who were relatively refractory to therapy. And he defined mindfulness as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And I think, There are the gain elements. Um, Being aware of the present moment. Um, And that really is an acknowledgement that happiness resides in the present moment. If we think of all the times when we're happiest or when we're happy, we're present. We're not worried about something we said yesterday that might have been embarrassing. We're not stressing over what's going to happen tomorrow and the list of things we have to do when we get home. Uh, And we're present. So we're, you know, typical example, we're walking in the forest. We feel the soft floor of the forest covered with pine needles. We smell the evergreen scent in the air. We look up and see the light filtering down through the canopy of leaves. We are not anywhere but that place in that moment. And therefore we're happy. And I think the same happens when we're laughing uncontrollably at a joke (laughs) with a friend or we're having an intimate moment with somebody that we love, physical or otherwise, we are present. So the first ingredient to mindfulness or happiness, I think, could be substituted, is awareness of the present moment. On purpose is an acknowledgement that our default way of thinking, and again, I go back to the 50,000 years of evolution of the brain of Homo sapiens, which is us, That we've developed this negativity bias and we also are very distracted by the past and future and have a hard time being present which is where happiness lives so we have to have a plan otherwise if we don't think with purpose and and be purposefully we lapse into our default mode of thinking and being and that is with a negativity bias and and a lot of distraction with the past and future in ways that are maladaptive. So awareness of the present moment, on purpose, we have to have a plan. We have to live with intention, the eye and game, and the non-judgmental component of Dr. Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness is equally important because if we want to see things as they truly are, we should drop the judgments and not have our biases and predispositions in terms of the way we interpret things. Because again, the way we interpret things is often erring on the side of being negative, which is unfortunate. But so we can, if we have a plan, we can actually train our thoughts, rewire our brains that have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity to being more present, purposeful and non-judgmental And I think those are the ingredients of being mindful and happy.
1: I love it. Um what about freeing yourself from your own criticism? Does non-judgmental uh perspective help you do that?
2: You mean your own self-criticism? Correct. Yes, I mean unfortunately we are most harshly judgmental of ourselves. And in the gain practice we are sitting in a comfortable quiet place, and we get in touch with our breath, and we go through a contemplation of gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non judgment. And when we get to non judgment, one one way that I practice and teach is picture an image of the Earth, apparently suspended in space, one of these beautiful NASA images, and contemplate that the Earth is neither good nor bad. The earth is simply the planet that it is the earth is neither good nor bad it simply is what it is and we can imagine the ocean for example or a tall tree in the same light it is simply what it is neither good nor bad and therefore it's only logical for us to think of ourselves the same way are we not of this earth uh are we not of this nature and so we ourselves, I, in the in the example of the gain kind of contemplative meditation, I am neither good nor bad. I am simply the person that I am. And we repeat this and we link this to our breath. So as we slowly breathe in, pause, and relax into the exhalation, we're actually visualizing ourselves as simply the person that we are, neither good nor bad and i think this is really liberating and and does contribute to our sense of well-being but it's probably the most challenging brain rewiring process of all that is kind of rewiring the harsh self-criticism and self-judgment that we're prone to embrace
1: i agree with you <laughs> definitely i see that a lot um Does it also make you more open to new opportunities uh, when you can change your mindset and your, your, your way of thinking to be more positive? Do you create more opportunities that are maybe more positive in your life?
2: I think so. I think that when we judge, again, with the overlay of negativity bias, we're sort of precluding opportunities. And for example, when we see somebody and judge them in a negative way in particular, we're kind of precluding becoming friends with that person, listening to that person, being present to that person's presence. And so perhaps that's an individual with whom we might've had a a very productive and fruitful relationship, but we kind of ruled it out just by our own biases based on their appearance or something they said without really getting to know them objectively or non-judgmentally. So yes, absolutely. I think that letting go of judgment opens us up to the world as it is and, and the world of opportunities, if we want to look at it that way.
1: Yeah, I, I really like your perspective. I, I like your book. I think everything that you talk about makes so much sense. And and I but I have a question that popped up into my head as we were talk as you were talking. Um What happens to somebody who maybe was abused by maybe their partner or their parent or whomever? How can they use this method to maybe move forward?
2: You know, Fauzi, I just go back to the basic gain elements. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they benefit all of us. So in the practice, as I said, you know, we get up, we open our blinds, we do our morning hygiene routine, and then we just find a comfortable place to sit. Some quiet, hopefully. Any position is fine. I, I would recommend not lying down lest we fall asleep. <laughs> but sitting in a comfortable place and closing our eyes and focusing on the in-breath, embracing the magic of the air as it comes in through our nose and expands our chest and our body, pausing, and then slowly releasing the breath. And we repeat this, and we we might note that our heart rate is slowing down, our we were taking our blood pressure, it would be lower. The amount of adrenaline in our body is decreasing. And then we begin to acknowledge that for which we're grateful. So in the case of somebody who was mistreated uh, growing up or in a relationship more recently, we still have much for which to be grateful. So rather than focusing on the abuse, we focus our attention on the positive on the loved ones we do have in our lives, on our relative health, which albeit may not be perfect, could be worse. And we're grateful for the good health that we have. Sure. Contemplate with gratitude that we live in a safe place. Again, relatively speaking, there's all kinds of awful hazards out there, unfortunately with all the gun violence, et cetera, but we're not living in Ukraine in Eastern Ukraine, for example, and and our hearts go out to those people who are mm-hmm. really suffering in a number of ways, but we're grateful that we live in a safe place amidst people we can call friends, um, that we have health, we have access to healthcare, most of us. There's so many things for which to be grateful. So it's easy to spiral into a depression over what has not gone well, But in the gain practice, we focus first on that for which we're grateful. And the A in gain is acceptance. So we acknowledge that there is not only joy in life, but there is pain inevitably in life. We've all lost loved ones. We have all had painful experiences and, and will continue to do so. However, we have the ability to bring this pain closer so we can contemplate a painful experience. It might have to do with past abuse. And we bring that painful experience closer and closer as we breathe slowly with our eyes closed. We envision opening our chest and opening our heart and bringing that pain closer and closer until it's inside our chest, inside our heart. And we envelop it with our heart. We we actually embrace it. And we recognize there's no distance anymore between the pain and our heart. And if we ask ourselves the question, can we live with this pain forever? The answer is yes. And that's when we've accepted it. And as you may recall, there's a formula in the book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance. We love love formulas in medicine, but the pain is (laughs) inevitable. And if we resist it, we suffer from it. If we accept and lower our resistance, in other words, the resistance and acceptance being opposites, if we accept more fully and therefore resist less, our suffering is diminished. So we focus on this acceptance in the in the gain practice. And then we go to intention. We dwell for f- even five or 10 seconds on the present moment. We experience the breath. We experience the tingling in the soles of our feet. We experience the contact between our body and the chair. Uh, so, you know, we we experience what we hear. It might even be a little ringing in our ears, and we sit with that awareness of the present moment for as long as it's comfortable. We will notice that our brains tend to go to the past or future very quickly. Yeah. We accept that, let those thoughts drift through, but dwell in the present moment with our sensations. Uh, four or five or 10 or 15 seconds, and then acknowledge that if we live with the purpose of being grateful, accepting, and non judgmental, we will be happier. And then we transition to non judgment. And again, you know, I, th- I like the image of the earth or the ocean or perhaps a redwood tree and the recognition that we are simply who we are, just as those elements of nature are what they are. And we are neither good nor bad. We return to the focus on the breath, and then slowly open our eyes. And that can all be done just within three or four minutes. But again, yeah. back to your question about abuse. You know, it, it's a it's a painful experience, which may have been short lived or long lived, but it's something that can be accepted if we open our hearts to it. And I, I think that's the important element.
1: Sure. So how long does somebody have to practice this method before they start seeing benefit from it?
2: I think there's some immediate benefit. um So let's use as a really wonderful example, a program called Three Good Things. So investigators, uh, Dr. Brian Sexton, who's a PhD at Duke University, was one of the principal investigators for this prog- program. Again, it's called three good things. You can search for it on the internet. If you, if you go to three good things, Duke university.
1: Okay.
2: They have enrolled thousands of people who sign up online. You take a baseline validated quality of life survey. And then you commit to a practice whereby each evening before bed, you consider three good things, three things that went well during the day, and ideally you would write them down. So common elements of three good things include something good that happened at work, a good conversation with a colleague, you know, reconnecting with somebody during the day, uh, a good meal for dinner with one's family, uh, a good book perhaps in the evening. There's so many opportunities to contemplate three good things. And what they found by doing serial quality of life surveys is that people who practiced three good things even for a week enjoyed months of improved sleep, a decrease in depression, a better quality of life. And so there you go, one week and and there's demonstrable progress. And uh, so I think even just after one Three good things session, we feel good. You know, simply getting out of bed and and being grateful for the day makes us feel better. So, but it's a process like everything else, everything else in life, it's a process. There's no destination. So the game practice, baby steps, ideally every day for three or four minutes. And I think as the days, weeks, and months go by, we can look back and Recognize that we seem to be happier and in a better frame of mind, and and more loving, and a better listener.
1: I can definitely see how that would be the case um, with this process. I I, I do see it. Um, I love the idea of your book. I I would love for you to give your information out for our um, listeners. Uh, where can they get a copy of your book?
2: Well, the book "Gain Without Pain" is on Amazon. If they go to Amazon and type in Gain Without Pain and perhaps my last name, H-A-M-M-E-R, they'll find it. They can go to my website, which is greghammermd.com, all lowercase, G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. There are lots of media there, probably our prior experience together, FAUSIA is on there, and this one will be in the future. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of information there and people can easily find the book.
1: Awesome. I'm thrilled that you're here. I hope everybody goes out and buys your book. Um, If you're looking to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Make sure you subscribe to our magazine. It is now officially going monthly as of January. If you're looking to be a writer for our magazine, you can email me directly from the website. You can also um, ask to be a guest on our show through the website as well. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to our listeners. Without you, this would not be possible. Special thank you for our listeners in China. I know it's uh, it's not easy to listen there. So thank you very much. We appreciate the, um, the followers. And um, once again, we are offering a special on our MindPrint assessment. If you'd like to take that MindPrint assessment or learn more about it, you can email me through the website. Um, it's on our uh, front page. Our first page has a contact button on the very bottom. So feel free to send me an email or you can call me at 480-648-1122. And we will be back after these messages.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Basia Costi is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fozzie works with in person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fozia. plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit Executive Function Coach or call 480 648 1122.
1: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Acosti or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success.
1: Welcome back. Uh, I'm Fazia Costi, and today we are talking to Dr. Greg Hammer, Stanford School of Medicine professor, physician, best-selling author, and mindfulness expert. Welcome back, Dr. Hammer.
2: Thank you very much, Fazia. Wonderful to be with you.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. I'm so glad you're here. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about this wonderful book that you've written, "Gain Without Pain: The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals." And we're talking today about the non-judgmental portion of your book. Um, let's talk a little bit about what problems does judgment create? What, what I mean, I can't imagine, or maybe I can actually. What 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 can you tell us about that?
2: One way of looking at it, Fauzi, is just to look around at the great political divide that we have in this country at the moment, which is...
1: (laughs) That keeps everyone from talking to each other.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, politics is one subject that you should avoid during family get-togethers, which are common, obviously, for Thanksgiving and around Christmas and New Year's. Yes. Yet people do tend to gravitate toward talking about... Politics, and it becomes immediately evident that we are a very polarized society. And when we are noticing that we have a disagreement with a family member or a friend or an acquaintance, we immediately go to judgment. So we, you know, we make judgments about the other person's intelligence. You know, how could they possibly believe that?
1: Right. <clears throat>
2: Excuse me. For example, we make judgments about, uh, you know, their beliefs, how they treat other people, etc. So these kind of judgments just make the divide between us deeper. You think uh, it has and-
1: to do with the fact that so many people are passionate about politics right now, maybe more passionate now than they've ever been?
2: Well, I think that's true. And I think that is... Uh, very much a double-edged sword. I think the the downside of that is that, again, people are grasping onto what they believe with passion. But the flip side of that is that they're passionately in disagreement with those who believe otherwise. And obviously, we've seen the adverse effects of that uh, with the January 6th event. Um, Just with regard to the standstill and in our Congress and uh, political system in general, all the animosity that's generated during elections and uh, the judgments that people make about others is, is I think, very evidently negative. <clears throat> Excuse me. If we're going to listen to other people and really hear what they're saying, we need to be present and non judgmental because when we start to form judgments about what a person with whom we're having a conversation is saying, we're not really listening anymore. We're, we're, we're shifting into our own kind of veiled way of looking at things. And we're selectively hearing what the other person is saying, because we've already decided what they're going to say and right. we decided that the, the source is something that we don't subscribe to. So, uh, you know, I think the the political divide and all the animosity, not only in Washington, D.C., but within families uh, when these topics are discussed, is a good example of how judgments are nonproductive and, and often much worse, drive uh, people apart. And, uh, you know, just because somebody voted for a particular candidate, you know, doesn't mean that everything they believe is in line with what that candidate is espousing.
1: Exactly.
2: So, you know, when you find out that, oh, this person is a Republican or a Democrat, and then we immediately associate through judgment a whole laundry list of opinions and qualities, this is really not doing a service to the person right. at the other end of that interaction. And, and so I think that's just one example about how judgment clouds the way we look at things and prevents us from getting along in that particular case, because you know we feel that we already know what the person believes and what they're going to say, and we disagree and and there's no point even opening our minds to what the other person is is voicing
1: well, I, I work with people all the time who have different opinions than I do. I think you have to come to the conclusion that you have to like the person and because opinions are fluid, they change. So I think there has to be some level of genuine caring for that person to allow you to just not judge the things you don't agree with, maybe.
2: Well, I think, as you said, giving the other person the benefit of the doubt is important. And I think treating everybody with kindness and respect is essential. And I would just say that if we're truly going to be present, then we let go of our judgments. And and the thing about the gain practice and practicing non-judgment is that as you begin to rewire your brain by focusing on gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, step-by-step, gradually, we notice that when we're being ungrateful or resisting or being unintentional, or judgmental, a light bulb will go off and remind us that our thoughts are gravitating back toward the old ways of thinking. And when that light bulb goes off, it serves as a very useful wake up that we're violating what we believe to be true and important. So for example, you know, we do our game practice in the morning. We finish with non judgment. We picture the earth as just the planet that it is, neither good nor bad, and we view ourselves the same way, neither good nor bad, and others, of course, as well. We return to our breath, we open our eyes, we start, uh, let's say we're actually going to a workplace, we're driving to work, and along the way, the car driving in front of us in the lane to our right, cuts us off without using their turn signal, and we immediately start to form judgments about the other person.
1: How dare they?
2: <laughs> and, you know, they're a bad driver, they're inconsiderate, mm-hmm. they're unintelligent, this and that. And a light bulb goes off, and we remind ourselves that we are committed to non-judgment. Let's just drop the judgment, except that perhaps even we might have done that while we're distracted or maybe in a hurry, maybe there's a a spouse in labor in the back seat. Maybe. So, you know, we, a light bulb goes off and, and therefore we're able to reconsider and drop that judgment. So I think what's really important is that we decide how we would like to shape our thoughts, rewire our brains, live our lives, how we would like to be, we have a practice, and through the practice, we recognize when we're thinking and being in ways that are not in line with our values. And those light bulb moments are just really key.
1: So one of the comments that you had written is judgment stokes our own fears, anxieties, and insecurities, which keep us stuck. How does it keep us stuck?
2: Well, when we judge others, we, we sort of put them in a category. Right. So we can go back to the political domain where, you know, oh, you voted for this candidate. You must be in that category. And then we meet somebody who voted for the candidate we endorse and they're in this other category. And then pretty soon everybody's in one category or the other. And we're not really listening. We're not really observing. We're not being objective about others. And I think that is one example of being stuck where we've divided our acquaintances and friends into two camps and we're now mired in this way of thinking and, and this sort of judgment and division, if you will, or divisiveness is sort of self propagating. The more we do it, the more we do it, you know, we, we gravitate toward listening to, People absorbing information that is in alignment with our beliefs. And we push those who may disagree with us and information that's not in line with our beliefs away. And so we become more and more polarized unless we have intention Absolutely. to remain non judgmental and objective. But I think we can very easily lapse into our default way of judging and becoming quite stuck in our ideas. And if we're not non-judgmental, if we're judging when we are when we should be listening objectively without judgment, we're missing out on a lot of the truth. We're not seeing things as they are. We're coloring our experience with our own biases. And I think getting stuck in that way of thinking is unfortunately very common.
1: Uh, I agree, definitely. and And I also think that listening to people's opinions sometimes will change your own mind. Maybe you're stuck in a thought process that isn't working for you anymore. Maybe listening to someone else's opinion will help you become a better version of you.
2: well, that's how we grow. you know yeah. we we grow by listening to and taking in information that is not in apparent agreement with our own thoughts and ways. That's how we grow. We grow by being present, listening, being open, and non-judgmental. Being judgmental is a way of closing our perceptions to that sure. which is. And yes, I, I agree with you 100%. We learn by absorbing things that are new and perhaps different than the way we, we think and behave.
1: I love it. How does mindfulness inhibit judgment? Let's talk a little bit about that.
2: I would uh, use the word allow or release rather than inhibit. But again, you know, if we look at Dr. Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness itself, it's awareness of the present moment on purpose non-judgmentally. So mindfulness is really a practice of being present. A practice of focusing on one's current experience, which is really the only experience we ever have. The experiences that we, we remember from the past are just a series of thoughts and the future is not here yet. So really the only true experience we ever have is the present experience. And mindfulness is a practice that brings us in alignment with that. Yes, we need to consider the past in ways that are adaptive. So we don't want to keep repeating the same mistakes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So we should learn from our mistakes. So periodically, we should be mindful of mistakes that we've made, not to be self-judgmental, but rather to learn from them and so that we don't continue making them. We are well served by savoring our our good memories, you know, f- being with family, being with loved ones having that experience in the forest. So to that extent, dwelling if you will, or contemplating the past is adaptive. But beyond that, we tend to overthink the past and this generates shame, embarrassment, regret. And these are maladaptive ways of dwelling in the past. And the same with the future, it's adaptive to plan to some degree. We need to put bread on the table. We want to plan for good times over the holidays at this sure. time of year, for example. But beyond that, overthinking the future leads to fear and anxiety. Our negativity bias creeps in. We tend to catastrophize. We imagine the worst thing that can happen, even though it almost certainly will not transpire. <laughs> but that's the way our brains work in, in default mode. That is overthinking the past and future and, and being negative in our thought processes. So if we're going to be present or mindful, we need to do so on purpose. And that's when we're able to listen and really take in another person's point of view by virtue of which we learn, we grow, we change for the better,
1: do you think it makes people happier to be more non-judgmental?
2: Absolutely, I think these judgments bring us down. And I, I tell the story in the book, for example. You know, I do my game meditation. I finish with non-judgment. I go outside. I get on my bicycle. I'm I'm pedaling to work. I pass through a, a narrow lane each day on my way to the hospital, and it's. Beautiful place. I see the sun kind of filtering through the through the through the brush as the sun is coming up and the light filtering through the treetops that form a, a nice canopy above. And as I'm pedaling down this path, I see a person who's walking in the same direction that I'm riding. And as I get closer, I see that he or she has buds in their ears. And then I notice that they're looking at their screen and I start to form judgments. Why are they looking at their screen? This is such a beautiful environment. Why not just take it in? Right. And then as I get closer, I realize the person is walking right in the middle of the path and it's going to be difficult for me to pass. And I start to form the judgment that this person is inconsiderate. And then a light bulb goes off and I realize that I'm making these judgments and these judgments are kind of bringing me down. Right. So you asked about, you know, does it improve our mood and our happiness when we drop judgments and right. it does, on the other hand, making these judgments is kind of a downer. So a light bulb goes off. I recognize that I'm judging. I have a bit of a laugh at myself. And as I pass by the person, I look down and smile and they look up at me and smile. And lo and behold, I got a little hit of dopamine instead of a little hit of adrenaline. Right. And what was a rather negative interaction becomes a positive interaction. So yes, through non-judgment, through that little light bulb moment, which reminded me to let go of, to release the judgment, I have a happy experience rather than a little bit of an aggravating experience.
1: Right. Instead of frowning at each other and wondering all day, why is he frowning at me? You had a smile and moved on. And, and
2: they smiled. Exactly. And they
1: smiled and they moved on. And it was a good feeling instead exactly. of this, why, what did I do? What happened? Yeah, all the negative thoughts that come through your head. That's wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about any tips that you might have for practicing what you call judgment or non judgment.
2: Yeah, I think just going to the gain practice, I think that one thing that happens, Fauzia, is when you, the more you practice, the more you help build these new neural networks, these new connections in the brain. You begin to rewire the brain, baby steps, little baby step at a time. And with the gain practice, we associate that with our breath. Mm-hmm. So we focus on our breath and then we we, we kind of keep the breath in the, in the foreground as we go through the contemplation of the four gain elements, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And then we return to focus our full attention on the breath before we open our eyes. What happens is as we begin to form these new pathways in our brain, we link these four elements to our breath. And so when we have those light bulb moments of judging, we're having a conversation with somebody uh, in a car, at a meal, they're saying things we don't agree with. We form these judgments. We have a light bulb moment. We recognize that we're making judgments. We've committed ourselves to being non judgmental. All we have to do is focus our attention on our breath. And then, and the gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non judgment seem to follow. So, this is something we can do in the way of reminding ourselves that we're committed to these new ways of thinking as we're walking down the hall, as we're riding our bicycle, as we're driving a car, we simply focus on our breath and these elements and that feeling, those ways of thinking come back to us rather quickly. The more we practice this method, the more quickly these commitments to being non-judgmental, for example, are linked to our breath. And all we have to do is kind of focus on our breath and we remind ourselves to be grateful, accepting, intentional, and non-judgmental. So, it's really an amazing process. I think the brain is really an amazing organ, if you will. And true. The good news is that, that we can actually influence the way our brains work and and rewire our brains in a positive way.
1: No, I, I love it. The whole time you're talking today, I'm thinking. You know, when we, I'm thinking the brain is a computer and you're just basically reprogramming it with your process you're just reprogramming it every day you practice this meditation and it reprograms you as a human being to behave differently and that's that's the analogy that i was thinking of while you were talking that that seems pretty i mean it's complex but it seems simple
2: no i think it is simple and i think you know it's a very simple practice it's not time consuming and I think these four elements of gain are universal and mm-hmm. they are, are really, I think they are embraced by all positive religious and philosophical traditions. Sure. So we have, gratitude is embedded in all positive ways of being and thinking. Acceptance is really what the serenity prayer is all about discerning what we can change and what we cannot change. And those things that represent discomfort or pain that we cannot change, we have the wisdom to accept the wisdom sure. to discern and accept. Um, this intention or purposefulness is a core element of mindfulness, but it's also a core element of prayer and, and religious and philosophic traditions. Sure. We practice uh, our intention. We, we say prayers of intention. We sing songs of intention, the Psalms, for example. And then non-judgment, similarly, we love our neighbor. If we're going to judge, we do so with benevolence, with loving. And so yeah. these are very simple, universal principles, and, and they're they're intuitive, empiric, and relatively easy to adopt, just one little tiny baby step at a time.
1: I love it. Thank you so much. I have one last question for you. What advice would you give your 20-year-old self?
2: Well, well, I think when I was 20, I was a bit of a hippie. I was actively (laughs) seeking. I was a seeker of the truth. And I think the seeking process was a little bit exhausting. So I might give my 20-year-old self the advice that there's nothing for which to look it's already there so relax into that truth relax into that awareness and of course you know if i had uh, known then what i know now i would have adopted this game practice at a much earlier point in my life and i'm sure that i would have been uh, a happier person than i was at that stage
1: thank you for that uh let's go ahead and give your information out one last time if anyone would like to get a book or a copy of your book, where can they get that?
2: Sure. Well, the book is on Amazon, Gain Without Pain, Greg Hammer. Uh, It will, it will come up if you put those in the search window. And then uh, my website is greghammermd.com, G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. And there's a lot of information and a link to the book there as well.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. So there you go. Today we met with Dr. Greg Hammer, the author of Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. Make sure you go get your copy today. And if you're looking to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Make sure you subscribe to our magazine, Executive Function Magazine. Um, As of January, it will be a monthly publication. It is completely digital. Um, It's free and it's international. So Make sure you get a copy so you can read the wonderful articles we have. And if you're looking to get in touch with me, you can go to the website once again at the very bottom of the first page. You can email me or you can also call me at 480-648-1122. And quick shout out to all our listeners. We really want to thank you for listening. Without you, this would not be possible. See you next time.
0: Thank you for tuning in to focus on success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern time and 9 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.